0: We're continuing on with our sermon series through 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 3. A few ladies walked in this morning and said, I hope you're getting at the men today. (laughs) After last Tuesday, so the men are getting it today. The ladies were very gracious last week, and none of them attacked me at the door or or sent me any abusive text messages or anything like that. So hopefully that'll be the same today. Uh, that we 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 got at the women last week, we get the men today. Okay, we'll do we'll do that. Let us pray as we come around the Lord's word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of being in your house, Father God, with your people. Father, we thank you for the lovely sense of your presence as we worshiped and came round the table. And Father, as we come now, we come to your word, and it's not the time for us to switch off, Lord, but to to turn ourselves on to you, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us through your word. For your word is living and active. And Father has something to say to us about every circumstance and every situation that we face. So, Father, we ask in this time now, Father, you would just come. Help us, Lord, as we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for those who have not been yet visiting this morning, we're working our way through 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 1, uh, where the focus was really on the ministry of the word. The, Paul was writing to Timothy, his young apprentice, as I say, he, his son, though not his son uh, in the natural, he considered him his son, his spiritual son. He's writing to him to encourage him because he's having a, a challenging time there. The church in Ephesus, uh, where the letter to the Ephesians was written to, so Paul is encouraging him firstly to stay there in Ephesus the second thing he's encouraging him to do is to confront the false teachers that are there in Ephesus so chapter one the focus is on the ministry of the word uh, chapter two uh, we looked at we looked at the ministry of prayer it was encouraging that, that we needed to pray and He told us how to pray and who to pray for and and so we looked at that and also the ministry of the people uh, it us what the men were supposed to do and also what the women were supposed to do. And so we move on into chapter three and the focus of chapter three is really the ministry of the leaders and the conduct of the church that Paul is writing to Timothy, he speaks to him about the elders of the church, the leaders of the church to begin with, uh, and then the deacons, which are the servants of the church. And then finally he speaks about the conduct of the church, how we, how we behave, how we get on in church, what is church all about, we're going to look at that uh, further on. But today's focus is really on the leadership uh, and this is uh, Paul writing to Timothy because it was very clear throughout the epistle to the Ephesians that the, the church there had leadership problems. Uh, Paul prophesied about this in Acts 20 verse 29 to 31 that we read in the first few weeks. He warned the Ephesian elders that false teachers would arise even from their own number and hurt their flock. And a couple of the things that we've looked at are the job is that every um, every church has its leaders. In this church, we have the elders who serve on the oversight of the church. And we're going to look at what the job of the elders is, but it was to protect the church and to guide the church. So those sometimes people come in with some false teaching or some teaching that's not biblically correct. Well, you've got to have men that stand there against this and say, This is not true, it's not biblical, and we've got to do that. It's not free-for-all here where we just simply say, well, everybody just do what they want. You know what? Come on in. Don't like the preaching? Somebody else come up here and preach. You don't like what the worship team sung this morning? Well, you come up here. It's not free-for-all. It says it's led. It's directed. It's, uh, and it, it's a spirit-led. I often say about church that churches should be spirit-led and well-prepared, uh, which means that we give place to the Holy Spirit as he leads us in church, as he leads us in worship were also well prepared that uh, we didn't just get up this morning and decide where we do these four songs and maybe we'll preach a little bit on this and things like it's all well prepared and so here we come uh, to this looking at the leadership because the difficulty that the ephesian church was facing in some circumstances every area of life demands some form of leadership or some people would call it management we don't call it management here we call it leadership but other areas Of life would have some form of management. Church is no different. It has to be led. And in 1 Timothy 3, here, the passage that we're going to read, uh, they use the term bishop. Uh, which could be sort of used as elder, or shepherd, or pastor, and they simply all mean the same. That we're going to look at this morning, and it simply describes the leadership of the local church. And it's clear from Paul's instruction here that Timothy was not tried to do this alone, but to appoint elders. It was a biblical pattern when Paul started his missionary journeys, and he went and planted churches, and people got saved before he left that town. And village it says he appointed elders over the church he appointed leaders uh, godly biblical men full of integrity uh, acts 14 verse 23 says paul and barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the lord in whom they had put their trust it's a biblical pattern so as well as following the biblical pattern there are other reasons uh, that simply confirm the necessary necessity i <laughs> Uh, for leaders within uh, congregations of churches that gather together. I put three here that I think are important. The first one is this spiritual leadership is about moving people onto God's agenda. That God has given us a purpose as a church. Our job as a leadership is to get people on board with that purpose, to get them onto that agenda. Though We don't mind people coming to church and they enjoy church and they, you know, Feel like a family and they feel loved when they come in and they get a cup of coffee and people are nice. and All of that's good and all of that's important. But the essential is this is we have a plan as a church is to reach a lost world, to bring people into a church that will build them up and disciple them. And so that's God's agenda. And the job of the leaders uh, is to bring people onto God's agenda. The second quote, one of my favourite, as you know, I love a good quote, a a leader takes people where they want to go, a great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be because sometimes leaders have to tell people things that they don't want to hear, but they need to hear because our concern or our heart is that we love you and we care about you and we want what God wants in your life and our job as a leaders is to help you get there not simply to say every time you're finding life challenging or difficult or things are going on for us to come alongside you and say that that's okay. Don't worry about that and that it's just to help and give you some direction and move you along, bring you along again uh, to where we believe God wants you to be. And then the third one, and this is so important, a church will not progress beyond the spiritual maturity of its leaders. So the appointment of qualified elders is of vital importance. And so that's why as we come on and look later like one at the qualities that are required to be an elder, that, that simply actually it's important because people have not moved beyond that. Nobody ever moves beyond uh, the maturity or nobody ever moves beyond that which they're led by. Uh, and so leaders lead by example and by influence. And so here in 1 Timothy 3, uh, Paul writes this in the first seven verses when he says, this is a faithful saying. The man desires a position of a bishop, which can be an elder, shepherd, pastor. He desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded of good behaviour, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil moreover he must have a good testimony among those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil it's a sobering fact which is true that if the leadership goes so goes the church what the leadership allows the church will become and that works in both a positive sense and a negative sense as well If the leadership is word-centred, the church will be word-centred. If the leadership is mission-minded, the church will be mission-minded. If the leadership is welcoming, the church will be welcoming. If the leadership is generous, the church will be generous. So leaders, we become what we allow, and the power of any leadership is in the ability to change and provide direction. If you are allowing it, don't complain about it. Paul presents to Timothy here the orthodoxy. He simply says, well, well, this is what we believe, as well as the order, which is what God expects us to do with what we believe. And we've looked at those words, so the orthodoxy, the order, and the organization over the few weeks. But as far as elders comes here, the organization of the church and what it specifically says about elders is very limited. We know that the church requires that. We know the gender of them because all the way through this passage, it simply he, 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 which I would take as man, 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 and a husband of one wife, which can't be a woman, because she can't be a husband, but she can't be a wife. And and so, therefore, we take that—that this is what it says here in in the the specific. But in the general, it tells us. It doesn't tell us much else. It doesn't tell us really how many elders we're supposed to have. There's no way in Scripture does it say, "Well, have eight elders or have twelve elders." Some some bigger churches would take the 24 elders as a biblical example. But if if you're not a big church, you're not going to have 24 elders. That would possibly be your whole church you know if you're only a small church we're, we're not told the age of the elders uh, often at times people assume that elder means older it doesn't mean older it doesn't mean older um, i've said this before and it's so true i know people in their 20s who are spiritually mature and apply wisdom to their lives in the decisions that they make I also know people who are in their 60s who are not spiritually mature and and do not apply wisdom to the decisions and choices they have to make. So we mustn't assume that elders just means old people, that suddenly we must just get people to a certain age and then say, oh, there can be an elder now because elder means older. Elder doesn't mean older. We're not told specifically here what elders are to do, though it does tell us in the rest of the New Testament. Uh, We are told, though, the qualities we should look for. And we are definitely told that the emphasis is on character and not gifting. There are 16 qualities mentioned here by Paul to Timothy. 15 of them are to do with character. One is to do with gifting, when it says must be able to teach. Now, must be able to teach can take on any different environment. It doesn't mean standing up here behind a pulpit in front of church on a Sunday. It could mean teaching people over a cup of coffee. It could mean teaching people in a small group. It could mean teaching people in any sort of environment but the key is this the key is the emphasis is on character and not gifting. Because we look at it sometimes, and it's a danger that the church is falling into today, where the modern church thinks it becomes about gifting rather than character. He says we cannot and must not replace the character, the necessity of character in leadership in any position in the church. That gifting is important, but it's not the foundation. Character is the foundation, because Paul makes it abundantly clear here. And what I love about this, and and this, is actually in all of these 15 different character qualities, you can find them elsewhere in the New Testament that applies both to men and to women. Now, I'm not saying that that means that that passage passage applies both to men and women, because it doesn't. But the necessity of good character applies to both men and women. That actually, we all, whether we are working towards being a leader, or we recognize the function of somebody as an elder, actually, all those character qualities that they've mentioned, actually, we should find in all of us, whether we're going to be elders or not. And so here we see that the Bible uses three words interchangeably to describe the same office. Um, Episcopus is the Greek and it means bishop or overseer. Presbyteros, which you'll realize you get the word Presbyterian from that, means elder. And appointment, which means pastor or shepherd. So all of these really talk of the same function within the New Testament, that they're interchangeable in both Paul's writings and Peter's writings. So we see that that's a thing. So uh, the best way for me to describe it is this, is the overseer is a description of their leadership. The elder is a description of their position. And the shepherd is a description of their function. And I think that's probably the easiest way to try and explain uh, what that means. And that doesn't automatically mean that everybody who's an elder is a pastor. They're not. It says when I became an elder in this church, it was three years before I was ordained as a pastor. So the best way for me to explain it is this, is that the elder is the position, but the pastor is the function. Because what does the pastor do? The pastor cares for... He protects, he guides, and he leads, which is things that the elder would do as well. But it's all interchangeable, all meaning the same thing. It's a man that simply protects the church and prays for the church, and serves the church, and helps the church, and encourages the church. And that's more important than, in a sense, giving somebody a title and saying, well, this is their title and, and what they do. Because every church or denomination is governed in a different way. If you have got a Presbyterian church, they're different. If a congregational church, they're different. A Baptist church is different. And, and here a Living Hope, because one of the things that we said we would do, is we would apply it to where we are as a church. And so we're here, we are governed and led by an oversight that's made up of four of us, which is myself and Stephen and Jackie and Jackie Roberts. And so within the oversight, the pastor has a specific role, which is to provide the vision, teach the church and facilitate the work. So the other elders have come and said, would you do this? So whenever the elders ask me and say, "What are we doing?" My answer should never be, oh, "I don't know." Actually, now it might not—it might look sometimes I don't know what I'm doing, but believe me, it's not true. It's just a look. He says because the job of the pastor is then to present the vision first to the oversight, and when they say, "Yes, that's a direction that we are going. That's God's agenda for the church," and then present it to the church and so the church then follows what we are doing as we lead the church together Uh, and so I do that uh, with the guidance and submission and it's a word that we used last week when we talked about submission to the oversight who I am accountable to simply prepared to answer any questions that they ask that my response has never been and can never be when they ask me what are we doing and I say well it's none of your business Because they might turn around to me and say, oh, is that right? OK. He says, my response to them is to be accountable. submit to them because as the pastor within the church uh, it teaches a lesson to the church that everybody submits to somebody and so we must understand that that we're never going about our own thing doing our own way there is no one man ministry here there is no i stand up one sunday and say to you all this is what we are doing and the elders are like well we don't know anything about that what we do is we tell the elders first, we get what they think, what they believe, the way that God is leading, and then we share it with the church. That's the right way to go. He says, obviously, the difficulty comes sometimes when, obviously when people turn around with my old chestnut that I can't stand, and if you ever come to me with this, I tell you because it avoids all accountability, and that when somebody says, God told me, and listen that's okay that God told you but in my experience it says when God tells you it's then for you to come to the leadership of the church to find out what the leadership think of it not just simply say forget what everybody else thinks God told me and it says listen because we care for you because you are accountable to us because everybody is accountable and everybody submits this is the best way to run the church lead the church and govern the church that is why leadership and that is why elders is so important in the church why because it's biblical foundation and secondly is this if your leadership demonstrates unity and harmony your church will demonstrate that as well and that is why that is so important God has specific qualifications for leaders in the church that we could call elders, bishops, pastors, to we said. Leaders are not just to be chosen at random, nor just because they volunteer, uh, nor because they want the position or because they feel they're natural leaders. Instead, they should be chosen primarily on how they match the qualifications listed here. And so because character is important, what we have to do is say this, listen, going to Bible college is important, but it's not essential. But it doesn't automatically qualify you for leadership in the church. Being a good talker doesn't make you qualified for spiritual leadership. If it was just about being a good talker, my goodness, some of you would be on the leadership of the church. Natural or spiritual gifts in themselves do not qualify one for spiritual leadership. What one gives in money or volunteers in time does not qualify them for spiritual leadership. Eldership is never a reward for length of time in the church. Eldership is never a position that somebody grows into. Let's put them on board as an elder and hopefully they'll grow into it. And you say, Matt, well, why have you read all those out? Well, in the 20 years that I've been here, all of those reasons have been given as to why somebody should be an elder. And none of them are actually biblical reasons. And so it's why we must understand that, actually, either people, and excuse the phrase, are biblically ignorant because they haven't read the passage in 1 Timothy 3, or we do what we're doing today, which is we're doing some teaching on on what does the church require? Well, what does the Bible say about those who lead? You see, as I've said, what qualifies a man for spiritual leadership is godly character, and it's established by this clear criteria that we're going to look at. The first thing mentioned is this, he says, if a man desires this position, he desires a good work. Now, we would read that and think, well, is that ambition? Are they ambitious to be an elder? Well, no, I don't think it means that. I think it means somebody who who reaches out or stretches themselves to, to grasp something that they believe that God has called them to do. It's not ambition that people would say, well, I would love to be an elder one day. Somebody turns around to me and says, oh, I would love to be the leader of that one day. I would almost say, why? Because those of us who are in the position realise that actually you would only do this if God calls you to do it. God establishes a calling in your life to do this. Why? Because most of the time, if not all of the time, any leadership issues you're dealing with in church, you're dealing with people. And people sometimes can be difficult. Believe me not in this church <laughs> all perfect in this church church down the road and so therefore it's an inner passionate compulsion of a man who wants to serve the church that he's planted in and serving it the drive within them is not to a position but to serve because they desire a good work because ministry and service above all other things is work, It's hard work He says, elders, and I know they do this in some churches, they don't do it here. He says, elders don't just sit on committees directing the work of the church that they're involved in. Now, where there is work to be done in this church, you will find the elders. You will find the elders putting out the chairs for the service. You will find the elders doing the practical work that needs to be done. One of the lessons we try and teach the younger ones is this. Listen, on the same day you preach from the pulpit and God saves four people and the service ends, you still might have to drive the minibus to drop people home. Why? Because there's just a humility in that. There's a service in that. It's not because we're trying to teach people something. It's just that service. It's why when we did Jackie Roberts' ordination as an elder in this church and we invited Jackie up and we would do this with all the elders, and that is we present them with a towel. And you say, What do you give him a towel for? Well, it's from John 13 when Jesus goes and washes the disciples' feet because it's an example of servanthood, not an example of leadership. An eldership is servanthood, it's serving the people in the church. In two weeks' time, we're having a special ordination service for this young man who's been accepted for ordination uh, by the CCI the movement that we belong to and we couldn't do the ordination service last year so we're doing it uh, this year in two weeks time well, when we bring Reese up, we're giving him an invitation to come and serve with the other four elders. We're not coming to say, Reese, now you've made an elder. What you do now is, before church starts, we sit in the office, we have a cup of tea and a few biscuits together. We don't mix with people. That's not what you do says we don't do that whenever the service starts we come out and in some sort of glorified position in our shirt and ties walk to the front like archangels because we're the leadership we don't do that he says we serve so the invitation will be given as Reese is ordained to come and serve with the others because that's what we do as elders in the church because what you will do is you will find the elders in this church caring for Praying for, visiting, encouraging, serving and supporting the people. And you might not see them do that all the time because they do it all week, every week. Whether they're working or not in what we call a secular job, they are doing all of that every week. I see it, you might not see it, when people are in hospital and they need visiting, the elders are up to visit them. When telephone calls need to be made to encourage people, the elders are doing that. He says, because that's a function of eldership in the church. That's the good work that needs to be desired. You see, when God looks for someone to use, he looks for someone who has allowed themselves to be burdened by God and the things of God. They see the lost and the needs of the church and they want to serve. They desire to serve God and people and they pursue this service in various ways. It is these people who God uses to build his church and his kingdom, to lead people, to lead other leaders. So let's have a quick look at simply who uh, an elder is and what do they do. I must say this from the beginning, even though there are 15 character qualities here. None of them say that an elder or a pastor should be perfect. Praise the Lord. <laughs> If you have for any instance think you don't really know me that well or you think to yourself oh, he's, he, he's like an angel at the front. A, you don't know me yet and B, my wife is here this morning, please go and talk to her for five minutes. She will tell you how imperfect I am or I would bring my two kids up here and they would tell you, oh he's not perfect, he shouts at me for leaving the lights on and he tells me off for this and he tells me, off. nowhere does it say we're to be perfect. And sometimes you have to say that to the church, because sometimes they look and say, well, you know, they should never be wrong about anything. They should never make mistakes, ever. They should be perfect in all ways. They should go to bed in a suit and tie and get up in the morning in a suit and tie. And they shouldn't need ironing. And they said they should do this. They spend four hours on a Saturday night with the family praying for church on Sunday. And you say to yourself, "Oh, but that's not the way. But that's the way sometimes people see it. Perfect. But nowhere here does it say perfect. And so we must understand that that's not what Paul is getting here when he says to Timothy, it says that bubble can be burst in an instant about perfection. The next thing we have to say is the responsibility of eldership and leadership is a big responsibility. It's not an easy job. I love it when people tell me, oh, I love doing that, you know, it must be easy to do. Listen, it's not easy. It says you're an example and an influence to people. And this is not me going, oh, let's play a little violin for that. You know, no, it's not. What it is is this, it says it was a great responsibility upon the leaders of the church that you need to pray for because we need to make sure we get this right. Because if the leadership fails, then the church fails. And we know because we've heard all the stories and we've been part of stories and we've seen things happen, that when the leadership fails and whether it be a moral failure, a spiritual failure, a money failure, whatever failure he says it ruins the name of the church I love our church because it represents Jesus Christ and when people talk about our church who have never been to our church or I've just heard about a church. I love them speaking about it in a positive way, in a way that says it represents who Christ Jesus is by its people and by its leadership. It's why one of the qualities is, is the leaders must have a good testimony outside of the church, not inside the church, outside of the church. So when our names are mentioned outside of the church, people are all oh, not him. Oh, you want to see a place he goes to? You want to see a place he comes out of? You want to see who he hangs about with? You want to see what he does in his spare time that nobody else knows about? And we say, well, we won't have heard of that. You'll have heard of that at some point because people will have said that. And so we approach it this way, that you never put yourself in a position where you have to explain yourself as to what you were doing, who you were with, and who you were there with. People say, well, that's a bit silly. Listen, in this day and age, church leadership is under attack the responsibility of the church leaders is for us to simply make sure we are beyond reproach which means no accusation can be levelled so you never see me coming out of a place that if one day you see me coming out of an off license or coming out of a pub you would think to yourself oh, I wonder what that's doing in there immediately think he must be having a drink and you say oh well, you are not think like that So what you have to do is make sure that you're beyond accusation, beyond any appearance of evil. So who you were with. So in our church, we go to extensive levels. We go beyond what is normal to make sure that we're beyond the appearance of evil. So if we have to go to the same place, and it's a male and a female, it says we take two different cars, and you say, well, that's absurd. Avoid all appearance of evil. It says, people will say, well, if you see them I'm coming out of a certain place or going to visit somebody on their own, and it says, we say, well, no, we don't do that. We come here, says, in the church. Why? Avoid all appearance of evil. Why? So we never have to give an explanation to people who simply most of the time get the wrong idea. Well, let's not give them the opportunity to get the wrong idea. Let's be beyond that. Let's be beyond all appearance of evil. Why? Because leadership is taught today that it's a about gifting and it's not biblical leadership is about character and biblical leadership is about what we do here in this church as elders pastors and leaders and so we come to this point just quickly as Paul I know my time is going through the 16 qualifications and we've said that that actually that these are things that all of us can find but here we, we see the first one is blameless and I've really tied that win in the second one is the husband of one wife the Interpretation here can mean lots of different things. I didn't have time to go into the divorce issue or whether, a married, whether it has to be a married man or whether it has to be a single man or whether the best explanation I've heard of this, and this helps everybody uh, well, it helps everybody who's a man, to be fair that uh, there must be a one woman man. What do you mean a one woman man? Well, simply this you have your one woman and you're faithful to her. That's it. Now, being unfaithful sometimes means, even as married men, we can look in the wrong direction. We can look at the wrong things. Husband and one wife means being faithful to the one woman. None of this nonsense uh, sometimes, and Christian men can sometimes be the worst for it, especially single Christian men. Apologies if you're a Christian single man this morning, but we were all there as well. Uh, there's simply the idea of that it's okay to flirt with everybody it's okay to work my way around every young lady in the church that in a sense you won't know the right one until you test all the wrong ones that's not a biblical thing can i just clear that up with people that's not biblical uh, and so it's a husband and one wife is a one woman man just simply faithful to her in everything in conversation in everything in everything you say and everything you do now you might be standing here thinking isn't he the perfect husband <laughs> I'm not <laughs> and I says my wife will be available to put you right at the door outside afterwards but what I'm trying to say is this the biblical leader is not what we call a player He doesn't show flirtatious activity towards other women Uh, even in leadership remember going to a conference on pastors and one person, the leader said this as he preached from this he preached and he said listen you have to be careful because at times you're working with vulnerable women and he said even you ugly ones and he sort of pointed over to where I was he says even you ugly ones but there were two ugly fellas behind me so I thought to myself "It it has to be them like it has to be has to be there and it's that idea of just being well a one woman man watch what you're looking at watch what you are watching watch what you are lingering what was David's sin with Bathsheba went out onto the roof one night and he looked and he saw a woman bathing and it tells us his eyes looked his eyes lingered for longer than they should have and that's where the problem began and we're just being honest here so listen if it's a problem deal with it if it's a problem do what you have to do but make sure you're one woman man somebody explained it to me like this that uh, we can get tripped up this is girls golden glory those are the three things any Christian leader has to watch out for in everything that they do temperate is the next thing It simply means somebody who is not given to extremes. They are reliable, trustworthy. You don't have to worry about wide swings of vision, mood or action. Somebody who is sober-minded, a person who is able to think clearly and with clarity. Good behaviour, orderly, hospitable. They are willing and able to open up their home to both friends and strangers. Hospitable just simply means time for everyone. If you need us, we're here. If we can help you, then we are here. It says at times, some people's numbers come up on our mobile phone. And we're like, oh. <laughs> but you realise this is what God has called you to do. And you have to answer, because you know they're looking for you. Now I, Glenn, right? Because that's what they do, being big time for everyone. That's what it's about, to be the shepherd. The leader, the elder, able to teach, which we looked at already, not given to wine. Now, the idea is of not being addicted to wine or intoxicating drink. I know because we have gone over this argument hundreds of times uh, that people say, "Our oh, New Testament and the Bible doesn't forbid drinking. He says, but I will say this leadership is influence, people copy behaviour. Though it is not forbidden, leaders always have to decide, is my influence over others more important than my right and my freedom to do something? So that's really the answer there. Rather than saying yes or no about something, simply saying, well, is it more important for me to influence people by my behaviour rather than my freedom or my rights? Not violence! That is self-explanatory, isn't it? He says, uh, not publicly or privately. A man who can let God fight his cause. Not greedy for money. He says, the King James Version. I love it. It's far more memorable. He says, not one greedy for filthy lucre says i would get that one line we don't use that word but i thought it's a lot more powerful isn't it filthy lucre it says gentle the kind of man who takes jesus as his example not quarrelsome the kind of person who is not always fighting over something or other not covetous and this is more encompassing thought than merely greedy for money it is simply the man who is satisfied with christ if christ is everything he will never be looking for something else if Christ is his all, it says he is the one that satisfies the desires and longings of a leader's heart. The one who rules his own house, well, sometimes people get this uh, a little bit confused that the godly leader demonstrates his leadership ability first in his own home, where Christianity is first demonstrated. Have to be careful, though, that sometimes uh, young people, our kids, rebel in spite of the rules laid down because it said this is a Christian home and so when people pass judgment and say look at the way they behave how can he be an elder because his kids do this listen maybe it's because they have put the rules down in their house and said as for our house we will serve the Lord and the rebellion is against that And so we must always be careful not to judge either. And when we look at that verse and what it says there, we must be careful to apply the gracious, the the, the grace that you need with that verse. That actually, are they rebelling because of that rule that's been put down that says, we are Christian in this house. And so we are not going to tolerate that. And so we see that not a novice, and that simply means not new converts, has nothing to do with age. As some people say, well, it shouldn't be anybody who's young. He said, that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that anywhere. He says it shouldn't be a new convert. It shouldn't be somebody who simply is immature in the faith. If you're young and mature in your faith, then you qualify. And we must make sure that we see that. And the final thing is, is a good testimony. And, and so all this has the idea of not having anything in your life that the enemy may lay hold of. And I've really come to the end of my time here, but I wanted to do this because I don't think I could speak about eldership this morning without honouring the three elders that we have in our church the integrity that they have, the leadership and service that they bring to our church. And so for me to stand here and say, here is the theory of eldership. Well, I would like to bring our three elders out to the front of the church today because I want you to see these men are the practice of eldership and godly leadership. So let's show our appreciation for the three elders as they come out through the front of the church. Let's bring them up to the front here. As I said I don't think it would be fair to do the theory without honoring the practice of men that have served the church for many many years I added up that the four of us and I'm the wee baby here that over 150 years experience of church that doesn't mean Jackie and Jackie 150 it just means let's <laughs> get that right it doesn't mean it just means that and these men exemplify what we have preached about today Uh, And because of that, because of what God is doing in our church, uh, because of how we're being blessed, it says as the church goes, it's because the leadership goes. And we simply today in both our services just want to honour the three of you for your service, for your time, for your faithfulness, for your encouragement, just for everything that you do, not just publicly, because I think it's easy for people to see what you do publicly, but the things that you do privately to encourage people, to lead people, and to care for people. And so as a church today, we just simply want to honour you. And I probably... I didn't really know what to do here, so I went down to Faith Mission, and I thought to myself, I thought, some of your preaching's been a bit weak recently. No, I don't know. <laughs> I went down to Faith Mission, and I, I, I just wanted to get you this. And i And I want to present this to you. Now, I apologize now because I was in a rush when I went down on Friday. And I bought all the Bibles in large print. (laughs) uh, So yeah, so that's good because I know you're getting on a bit, and so you'll be able to see down to that and stuff. No, but I've got it just as a wee presentation. uh, Just these are just a token of just the hard work and everything that you do in our church. Because we're preaching this this morning, we just want to honour you. We're not going to ask them to say anything. You know why, don't you? Like, um, we're nearly come to the end. But what I want to do is this. I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Peter as you stay up here. And in me closing in prayer after the verses, it just really is to pray for you. It's a prayer of thanks uh, for who you are and what you do in the church. Because 1 Peter uh, 5, verse 1 to 4 says this And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Let us just pray. Father, we thank you today. Father, the the plan and pattern of your church. Father, as you launched your church, which is your idea. Father, is to make sure that there were godly men, biblical, full of integrity and service and love for the sheep father you wanted to make sure that those are present in each and every church and father we thank you here at living hope the father we have these three men who fit that like we thank you father god for each and every one of them for jackie for jackie for stephen and father we thank you for the way they bless us and encourage us as a church in their eldership and their leading And, Father, we thank you that that passage that we've read in 1 Peter then, Father, just simply is fulfilled in all of their lives, Father God, that they do what they do simply because they can do it, because they're willing to do it, not because they must do it. And we thank you for that today, Father. And we as a church, Father God, we say thank you, Father, for them. And we say thank you to you, Father God, for giving us this leadership. And we pray, Father God, you will bless them and bless their families, uh, bless their children. Father, bless their grandchildren. We pray for them today, Lord, and thank you for them. In Jesus' name, Amen.